The reading this morning is taken from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth." For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared." And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Abby. I think you all will agree that was much more pleasant than the other alternative. Just kidding. We are, uh, let me pray, and then we'll launch into our our discussion. Father, we praise you for the true advent, that you, Jesus, have come into this world, you've died and been resurrected, and we long for your return. And in the meantime, we praise you that your spirit is with us, you give us means of grace through church and worship and scripture and prayer and fellowship and other means to connect to you and to hope for this return. Amen. So Advent, as we've been discussing, um, coming or arrival, it's a fitting thing to 
to contemplate Zechariah. They, they, he had been 400 years since any information or news of God had come, and now he's longing for the, he's equally longing uh, in that time as we are today. What was surprising, I think, to the people at that time is that when Jesus came, there would be two stages, right? We've talked about this before. Uh, prophets in the Old Testament assumed when the Messiah would come, that would be it. But as we now know, uh, Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and we are now in a valley of sorts as we await his second coming. So we are in the end times. We are longing for his return. And so we celebrate the second advent, and we're sharing in that longing. And uh, one of the things that I'm encouraged by in this passage, and I want you to see, and one of the reasons uh, we're starting here, is I think we have a difficult time connecting all the things on your mind right now the things that are troubling you, the things that are, you're longing for, the hopes, the difficulties, with the coming of Jesus. In fact, how many of you think, I want Jesus to come, but I've got a few more things I want to accomplish first, right? We all, we're tempted to think those thoughts, and that's fine, but what I want us to realize from this passage is the answered prayer for Zechariah and for Elizabeth accomplishes two things. The return of the, or the coming of the Messiah but also the healing of some of their deepest wounds, right? There'll be joy and there'll be gladness. So when we're gonna, what we're going to see from this passage is that when God rescues his people on a global scale, he also brings you individually joy and gladness and the remove of reproach. That's what we're going to look at in this passage. We're going to walk through a few things that Zechariah is doing, and I'm hoping we will do with him this Advent season as we sort of combat the spirit of our age, right, which is materialism and, and discontent. Okay, first thing we see Zechariah doing is he's longing. He's longing. The way Luke describes uh, Zechariah in verse, well, in the first few verses, five and six, and Elizabeth, is they are both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, when you read that, you probably are tempted to go, wow. That's really good living, right? And, and it's true. They are godly people. But that is not Luke's way of saying they don't need a Savior. Listen to what Calvin says. He says, if in keeping the law they are blameless and they have no need of Christ, then, then what would be the reason for this passage? I, I think we have to redefine blamelessness and, and righteousness a little bit. And I would do it this way. I want us to be righteous and blameless in Christ by longing for his redemption in a way that affects our daily living. So I'm not just hoping that one day, someday he'll return, but that there will be like momentary, present tense benefits from that that would lead to joy and gladness. The goal is to connect your current longing with the longing for Christ's return and to not have those separated. That would be our goal, I think, this, this season. So let's look at what Gabriel says to Zechariah, which proves that his prayer was more likely a longing for um, a coming of Christ or a coming of the messenger of Christ. In verse 15, he says, For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. 
And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And for Zechariah and for any hearer of that initially, and for many of you, you'll know that is looking back to Malachi 3 and Malachi 4, where God says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. I'm going to now jump down to Malachi 4. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. What is happening when Gabriel is answering this prayer of Elijah, or of Zechariah, he's saying, here is what you've been praying for. You have been longing for the return of the Messiah. So my question is, is that how your Christmas is starting? We are, we're at a Westwood Winter Carnival. You can't call it a Christmas Carnival, so it's the Winter Carnival. And we sat down with a couple, a family that are new to town, and um, began to just ask them, what's your impression of Stillwater? And the, the man, he's a, not a professor, he's a PhD, but he does something at OSU, I can't remember. Sorry, everybody that does that. I remember all of your jobs. Um, but he said, you know, Stillwater's like a Hallmark movie. Ah. It's like it's festivals, it's fun, everyone's happy. Well, I remembered right when he said that about three weeks ago at dinner with a couple we're getting to know, live in our neighborhood. She tells me she likes Hallmark movies, and I say, Hallmark movies are evil. <laughs> I didn't say it like that, but I did say those words. And my wife's like, what do you mean, sis? <laughs> uh, and I wasn't quite sure why I said it. Like, I just felt like they're a lie. Now, disclaimer, if you like Hallmark movies, that's fine, put an asterisk and just admit they're a guilty pleasure. <laughs> then we're okay. But if you think they're normal, we have real problems. When you ask the world at large, not the believing world, although it may feed into us, what is the number one Christmas movie? It's Die Hard. It's Die Hard. Am I, I mean, come on. Somebody in this room agrees with that. I don't know that I fully agree with that, but here's what I will tell you. Die Hard is a Christmas movie for this reason. You're at the Nakamura building, enjoying your eggnog. Everything's great. And there are terrorists who have planned your death. That's the story. Like, you are under fire and you have no idea. That's Christmas. Because there's a rescuer coming, right? John, is it, Mc, not McCain, Mc, John McLean, Bruce Willis. I mean, who would have ever thought this dude could do anything about the terrorist event, and yet he does. He rescues everybody. It's, it's a beautiful uh, story, and he is Jesus, and we long to be rescued, and that's the better Christmas movie. Is that where you are? Are you someone who is more interested in the sleepy desire for small problems to be fixed by cheesy solutions, or are you someone who recognizes there is an enemy who has you in his crosshairs. And I really mean that. Like, have you thought about the fact that Satan and his minions know you better than you do and would love to bring you down? And if it's through a boring life, he'll do it. If it's through sin and despair and depression and conflict, whatever it takes, he's figuring you out. Have you begun to figure yourself out? And have you begun to realize that's what's at stake, which would drive you to long for a Savior? Is that your heart? 
Does that sound encouraging? Cheer up. It's Christmas. So, the longing of Zechariah is, not only is he so sad that they don't have a child, of course, but the sadness and the longing for Elijah to return, or the, not literal Elijah, right? John the Baptist. But also, to prepare the way for the Lamb of God, right? Who will come away, come to take away the sins of the world. Let's, I want to keep meditating on that. And I would ask that as we think about our prayers during this season, what are your prayers? Like, what would it look like for you? How, how complex are your prayers? What would it look like for you if you just finished your morning prayers and Gabriel shows up and says, first of all, you're freaked out. We get that moment, right? You're in terror. He says, calm down. It's me, Gabriel. I'm here to answer what you just prayed. What do you get? A new car? You know, what is it? And I wonder what Zechariah thought when he said that. I'm here in verse 13. He says, do not be afraid. That's verse, yeah. But he said to him, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard, comma. And then he goes on to explain that your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And as I've meditated on this for a long time, I've gone back and like, is that what he was praying it seems hard to believe that if that was what he was praying in that moment, he would have responded the way he does, which we'll talk about in a minute. And so what we're doing now, we're in point two. We're talking about the complexity of answered prayers. And I want to read you what Calvin says. It is hardly probable that Zechariah at that time tried to pray to obtain a son, which later he would despair on the account of his wife's age. Nor, he says, can we indeed draw any precise moment from when that prayer would have happened based on what the angel says. So he says, I interpret it therefore simply that this prayer was at length heard, which he had poured out before God over a long period of time. I would even go further to say he probably stopped praying it sometime in the past, thinking that ship has sailed, right? That is done. However, he's praying for the Messiah to come, and probably even primarily knowing the scriptures and knowing Malachi, for the messenger to come. And for him, these are completely separate prayers, but God is amazing in the way he answers prayers and the complexity, and he brings the two into one answer. Right? That's the complexity of an answered prayer, is that you think you're praying one thing, and you are, and God comes in and answers it in a completely different way than you would have thought. But the most be- to me, the most beautiful aspect, or one of the most beautiful aspects of this answered prayer is this. He says, the angel tells John, or Zechariah, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Do you want joy and gladness? Isn't that what we're after? Like, isn't that what we're wanting? I mean, Shane was describing very well, like opening presents and, and then the subsequent letdown. What is that? We're after joy. We're after something underneath that present, that relationship, that advancement in a career, that break we need. Whatever it is you're kind of longing for, underneath it is a longing for someone to look you in the eyes and say, I've come for you. I am rescuing you. Do you see that longing? And do you pray for that day when you will see Jesus in that way? 
Not only are you to be filled with joy and gladness, but at the very end in verse 25, Elizabeth says, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. That word there means simply loss of standing connected with despairing speech. I would add despairing looks. She was under reproach because she was barren. She was living a life of reproach. Many of you live that life all the time. Maybe it's not from someone right now in your world. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's you. Many of you struggle with just self-contempt, reproaching yourself. Maybe it's someone from your past. They're not in your life anymore, but you just can't get that out of your head. And what I love about this story is that Gabriel could have showed up and said, quit worrying about yourself. I'm saving the world. But he connects it to their needs, and you will have joy, and you will have gladness, and your reproach will be removed. But it's complex because um, it's not what they expected. It's not the way they thought things would go. It's not how they thought this prayer would be answered. Um, And this is what I would like to say for you as we kind of are rounding this discussion. Blamelessness, then, as I'm pressing it out, and this isn't the perfect definition, but it's getting closer to what I want to talk about, is when we can trust that God's answer to the larger scale needs of this world will bring you those three things, joy and gladness and the removal of reproach. And I'm continuing to press you into seeing your life and your story in this season. Where is God answering prayers that you don't even notice? Because it's not the way you would have wanted it, right? Have you named these areas where you're uncomfortable and maybe you're also hearing that this is God's answer to your prayer. No one prays for illness. No one prays for disease or loss. No one says, I want to lose a job. That's how I want to grow. And yet all the time, these things will come into our midst, both wonderful things, but hard things. But we have to figure out that God is in these things. And God is behind every story of your life. And he's weaving them together to bring you this joy and this gladness and this view of his future glory. Um, I've told the story before. Uh, Jack Miller is um, a hero of mine, went through a really huge season of struggle and despair and doubt. And so his thought was, I need to resign my jobs. And he does that. And he goes away to do what all of us would have naturally done. Watch Hallmark movies. How many of you would have done that? No? Angie? Well, he went away to study the promises of God. Every time I hear that, I'm like, what? Like, I'm a pastor, and that would not have been my first thought. I wish it were. I'm confessing this before you. I'd have thought, you know, what's on Netflix? I just quit. Let's go out of town, honey. Uh, He goes and he studies the promises from Isaiah, from John, through all the scripture. And what he's doing is he's reorienting his affections, his longings, with the longings and the affections of Jesus. 
He's recognizing in that moment that the problem isn't Jesus skipped over him, but that somewhere he began to interpret the world differently and saw what may actually be beautiful as negative. And that is my encouragement to you. We want the baby, the miraculous baby to come. We want these things to happen. But I think there is so much more richness in this story that, that Zechariah and Elizabeth are able to see their life and their world come alongside that of the mission of Jesus. And that's how they can interpret the prayers being answered. So, as I think through the rest, this last point we're going to move into is how do we respond to answered prayers? Uh, and there are, three, there are four S's. And this is the application point. I don't usually do application that well, right, Shane? So this is it. Four steps of application. No, he doesn't say that. I say it, and he just kind of nods. I'm sorry. I'm not sure. Four S's of application. Number one, how do, this is what we're talking about. How do you respond to the answered prayers of Jesus coming into your world? Struggle. I mean, look at verse 18. How shall I know this? I am old. My wife is advanced in years. In other words, you're crazy. If this is your idea of a funny joke, Gabriel, this is your answer to my prayer? He struggles. In fact, it's not just a struggle. I mean, it leads to a, a, um, a punishment of sorts, right, when he has to become silenced. But, but I guess my question is, do you feel the freedom to name the fact that you're not always happy with how God might be answering your prayer? Do you have the freedom to struggle and say, how is this possible? I think that can be healthy. Right? I think it could be healthy, and you read through the Psalms, and there are many examples where there's struggle with why this? Why this pain? Why this situation? Why are these enemies? Why is this the path I'm on? And it's, it's shocking to me that for Zechariah, what was a blessing was interpreted as a curse. And that's what I'm calling us to begin to do, reinterpret those things and say, maybe this is God's will. But it's going to start with struggle. You have to fight it. Secondly, silence. Um, obviously, that looks like a major negative. Uh, I think in some households, maybe mine, if that, it was inflicted on me, Hey, that's nice. This has been kind of wonderful. But um, just sometimes it's your child. There's a couple of children we wouldn't mind. Uh, no names, no faces. Silence. As you know in the story, Zechariah is told, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. I think this is gracious. Zechariah is... He, his life has become disrupted. I mean, I, he's gone. First of all, the lots were cast. He's the one. He goes into the holy places, not the holiest of holies. He's doing this amazingly important work. People are outside praying. It's a, it's a two-week stint. Uh, it's probably the highlight of his career. Gabriel shows up. I mean, he's, he can't, it's all crazy amazing. And he's told, you're going to have a baby. And they've kind of probably quit being intimate. I mean, that's the way it looks in the text. He can't even imagine this. He's disrupted. He's just been told, what you've been praying for, the second, like Elijah, the, the one who prepares the way for Jesus, is going to be your son. 
And then the angel says, and by the way, I'm taking away your voice. Like your most important attribute is done. What do you do when you have hard things come your way, when you are disrupted, when you are undone? We talk, don't we? We begin to start talking about it. Oh, I'm okay. We name it wrongly. I'll be fine. We start lying to ourselves. We start talking too soon. We do not know how to just stay silent. Um, I think for Zechariah, silence was a gift for him to explore his emotions, to process, but I would add for him to meditate on scripture. I love, we're gonna read in a minute, the song that he sings, but it seems like he's able to take all of these struggles and because of silence, he's able to go into scripture and into prayer and into meditation and work through the way God is using this in his life. What do you do when problems come? Are you silent? I heard once a person say, I've heard a couple of times recently, sadness is a transition emotion. So often when we feel sad, we get rid of it as fast as we can and we jump into other things. And what this person was, was encouraging those listening to him to do is kind of look at that a little bit closer. Don't run away from it. Maybe be curious about your own sadness. I heard another person say, is anger is the bodyguard for sadness. I thought that was really well said. So when you get angry, you're probably sad. Start to notice what's going on underneath and say, you know, like I'm skipping right over maybe this opportunity to meditate, to go to the word, to see what's happening underneath and to rest on what God is bringing into my life. Thirdly, the third S, that's struggle, silence, is submission. Verse 23 And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Now, when you read your Bible, like, you know what happened, right? Like, Hollywood would have done a lot more with that scene. And I don't mean it in a gratuitous way. Like, he has to go into his home, somehow let Elizabeth know, I don't talk anymore. Like, and she's kind of like, sweet. And then he's got to take, he doesn't have like tablets. I mean, some sort of a chalk. I don't know in the ancient world what they would have used. But some way he's got to explain, like, we're going to be intimate. Like, and, and it's for Jesus. Like, she's got, he's got to like explain this thing. And then the hardest part is these two people who have gone through years of horrible um, um, sorrow. I mean, every time they've prayed that prayer, it's not happened. What happens to your hope? You don't want to hope. I don't want to, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to try that. So they have to face all of these things. So submission is not easy. It just looks like, oh, he went home and told her what happened, and then they did their thing, and then a baby came. It's not easy to submit. It's not. Right? To say, I see God working in what he wants me to do, and it's going to cost a lot of risk because I have to hope that this will lead to his glory and lead to, to the answer prayer. But he does. They submit. Um, Elizabeth is overjoyed when she conceives. Um, she keeps it, the secret hidden, and she rejoices and then finally, they, the fourth S is singing, praise. 
I love Zechariah's song. We're going to actually have it as our um, response in a few moments. But I want you to hear the words from Luke 1, 68 and following. Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we will be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him, that is, serve God, without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. And you, child, he's talking now to John, will be called the prophet of the Most High, For you will go before the Lord and prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation into his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Is this, this song is a perfect picture of Zechariah seeing the two things coming together in the birth of his son. And we, we think about John the Baptist. It's not, um, it's not all roses with that one, you know. He, um, he's a little different, right? Like he wore camel's hair. Remember we studied him? He ate honey and locusts and, and kind of made people angry. And then he dies about the age of 30 probably. Um, it's hard. But yet they loved him and they were filled with joy and gladness at his birth and at his message. And John, when we were introduced to him in the book of John, remember what he says when he sees Jesus coming. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I just, as we think about this Advent season, I'm just going to continue to ask, is that good news? Jesus walking into your midst, is that your response? He's taking away the sins of the world. Um, Back to Die Hard. I don't know. Maybe who doesn't know that movie? You don't know the movie, Dale? Okay, so Die Hard, it was in the 80s, to be fair. Were you even born yet? Um, New York City policeman John McClane, played by Bruce Willis, is is visiting his wife, Bonnie. You can't walk out because I'm telling you the story about, about Die Hard. And they have, he's going to come in and have this kind of reunion with his family. He's gone to L.A., and he's, or he's gone, to, I think, New York, back to L.A. And her Nakamura high-rise building, they're having this party on the first floor, and these terrorists come in. So I've already told you this, but just in case you didn't know that, that's important. The main terrorist is played by Snape, all you young people who like Harry Potter. Like that evil dude who, who sadly passed away. He was like the bad guy, and he is... Like, evil, right? And there's this one goofy character who's like, I'm going to solve all the problems and become like, I'm going to go in and going to go kind of negotiate. Remember that guy? So he's going to go, and and, uh, John McClane's wife's like, don't do it. I guess her name is uh, Bonnie in in real life. She's like, don't do that. He does it anyway. He's going to go in and talk his way out of it. And they have this conversation. I can't tell you what happens to him because it's like not healthy, 
He doesn't make it. And it's a really intense scene. And that's where you realize you can't talk your way out of evil. You can't just go in and negotiate with it. You need a rescuer. So that movie is a good Christmas movie, but you cannot watch it unless you're like 18 or above. Jesus has come to rescue you. The only reason that's not good news to you at all times is because you become dulled in your senses. I have become dulled in my senses to believing that we're living this hallmark dream when we're not. Please be aware of the fact that you have an ache in your soul this Christmas that only Jesus has already healed and now we're simply waiting for that consummation to see our groom face to face. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for this season. We know that our calendars, um, our emotions, our ups and our downs make it a difficult time to focus on you. And so we praise you for a season of Advent where we can look evil in the face and say, not on our watch. We are celebrating our Savior. We are relishing in you. And Father, for those here who are just, this is so far from them, I get it. I pray, Spirit, you would open their hearts to begin to wonder, what if it's true? And Lord, for those of us that have walked with you for many years, who maybe have grown somewhat stale or dull in our walk, I pray we would begin to realize maybe we are self-sufficient. Maybe we think we have this. Maybe we're just going through the motions. And when Gabriel shows up in this passage, it's a reminder that you have shown up in our lives to wake us up, to say, I love you, and I've rescued you, and I'm bringing you home. Let that ignite us, Father. Amen.